Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we are again giving updates on the coronavirus. A decision was made and then reversed to close all of the churches in Rome. And in a gesture that captured the world's attention, Pope Francis walked through the deserted streets of Rome to pray at two churches for an end to the virus. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Cherry. Uh, I am recording from home today because America has switched to remote work. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, Colleen. Uh, I also am at home, as I always am for these recording sessions. (laughs) But now we're in lockdown. (laughs) Yeah, it seems that the U.S. is sort of edging closer to that, though we haven't gone all the way there yet. Um, We have a lot of updates to give on the Vatican's response to coronavirus this week, so let's jump right into it. Um, The first thing I wanted to talk about was, at the end of last week, on March 12th, Cardinal Angelo de Donatis, the papal vicar of Rome, he helps the Pope in his pastoral duties as the Bishop of Rome, he made an announcement that all of the city's churches would be closed. They had been open for private prayer, even after the masses were canceled, like we talked about last week, but this order from him was going to close them completely. But that didn't last. He reversed the decision the next day and decided to leave it up to pastors whether or not their churches would be open. I was wondering if you could tell us um, what was behind this reversal. Well, at the Pope at the morning mass said that uh, extreme measures aren't the best in this kind of situation. Right. Did you see that as a uh, as him responding to this decision? I think everybody saw it as a kind of a comment that closing all 900 churches, uh, that are some parish churches and then other churches in Rome. There are 900 churches in Rome? Yeah. Holy cow. You know, they used to say at one stage that you had 200 in this in the city center, in the historic center of Rome, you had 250 churches and 250 Chinese restaurants. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yes, nine, 900 churches. Uh, this would be parish churches plus uh, other churches. There were a lot of churches in Rome. Mm-hmm. And many people found this a little disturbing because people feel insecure. And somehow the open church offers them some security. If they want to go to pray, people go in to pray. Not many go in at the same time, but you you see people in church. And are people still allowed to go into churches to pray given the heavy lockdown in Italy? Well, it's, it's, it's a big question because the government is really enforcing it. I mean... If I go out in the street now, I've got to carry in my pocket a notice saying that I'm aware of the government's instructions, that there are four reasons I can go out to go for primary necessity like food, etc., to go to medical help, if I have to do essential work, or if I have to see a doctor. Uh, And the police can stop you. And uh, I saw yesterday 2,000 people have been fined. Wow. And you, you... you can, if you insist, you can, uh, going and breaking the law, you can end up with three months in prison. I have never seen in my years in Rome, the Italians who tend to be a little anarchic, obeying the law so completely. It, it, it is 
there's a real sense of responsibility of young and old. They feel that, as the Prime Minister said, Prime Minister Conte on the television, he said, it's up to everybody. We're all in this together. And so everybody from the youngest to the oldest has to play their part. And the people have taken this very seriously. And I think it's a great sign because they feel that they are protecting themselves, but they're also protecting other people. So there's this great sense of uh, self-survival, but also solidarity to help the others to survive. Right. Now, there is kind of... um this tension as we as we saw i guess with um with this decision to close the churches that then got rescinded um which is you know trying to decide how to be close to people and be in solidarity with people and also to best care for them by maintaining one's distance uh we saw cardinal conrad krajewski the papal almoner we've talked about him on the show before his job is coordinating the vatican's outreach to the poor especially around rome um he defied the order while it was still standing and decided to open his church in rome uh for eucharistic adoration and for the the poor to have shelter yeah so i i thought that like seeing you know data Natus's decision and then cardinal conrad's decision um side by side really really showed the tension between these two cases i don't know do you think that krajewski saw this as being bigger than than himself maybe trying to urge other people to do something similar well each of them is working in their own area in a sense the the cardinal conrad he, he he's he's working really to reach out to those who have no home i i see them on the street these old people with little plastic bags they have no place to go right right and to tell them stay at home where where is home the street is home Mm -hmm. people are sleeping on the side of the streets and he sees it around the vatican the cardinal de donatis he his responsibility is for the management as it were of the rome diocese and he reversed the first decision, no longer closing 900 churches. He says, let's open the parish churches. He says, we've got to balance caring for the well-being of everybody, but also part of that well-being is the spiritual well-being of people. So that's how he justified it. Mm-hmm. There's a growing sense of solidarity that, you know, we're responsible not just for ourselves and for making money, but we're responsible for each other. And... Uh, if I get it today, it may be your turn tomorrow. So there's a growing sense of awareness and solidarity. Now, I think the Pope, with his message every morning at the Mass, yesterday he was speaking about those who work in the supermarkets and those who work in the care services. We think a lot about the doctors and nurses. We don't think about the people who are providing the food in the supermarkets, the checkout clerks and these. Suddenly people are realizing, you know, the baker is important. And if he stops working, the, the newspaper, newsstand person, the person who's running the newsstand, is important. I went out to buy the paper this morning, and then the woman said to me, really, I, I wish I didn't have to come in, but I know news is important for people. Right. And it's, I mean, these people, since they're still having customers come in and everything, they're, they're still at risk. They're still, you know, being exposed to a lot of people. In modo speciale vorrei pregare per i carcerati. Um, you mentioned Pope Francis's daily masses. I, 
I thought that that was, you know, like we talked about last week, it's it's one way that he's expressing his closeness to people. Um, and I wanted to talk about some of the topics that he's addressed this week because, you know, he's live streaming this daily mass at Santa Marta, the guest house where he lives. And in part, this is so that people whose masses have been canceled are able to pray along with him. Um, I actually prayed along with that on Sunday because the Archdiocese of New York has canceled mass. Um, but he's been praying for a different intention at the beginning of mass every day. He's been using these mass intentions to respond to some of the most pressing issues in Italian society. Um, we mentioned he prayed for priests right after the churches closed, but he also drew attention to these prison riots. I was wondering if you could talk about that. He, he spoke a day after there had been revolts in 27 penal institutes throughout Italy, because two days earlier, the government had introduced the legislation, which means that nobody can go and visit a family member or a friend in prison. Nobody. Uh, the problem is the prisoners are afraid that they can, one of them can have the, the uh, virus and this will travel quickly. And they're also afraid that maybe the guards could have the, the virus. Now, many people are in prison in Italy. The prisons are really overflowing. They, I've seen a prison, you know, which should have 300 people and it has 450. Oh, my goodness. And so there are many overcrowding in prisons. And so they protested. And some went on the roofs of the prison. Some, they, they set fires, everything. And 12 people died in, in this in these protests. So the next morning, the Pope prayed for them. The Pope has always got special concern for prisoners. And he prayed for them. And he keeps reminding society, you know, that prison is meant to be a moment. Yes, you, you've done wrong, you pay your penalty, but it also should be a moment for redemption. And here are people now who are kind of losing all hope because of the virus situation, the lack of contact with their families or friends, and also some of them who, who should, and I know one particular case, who should be now released from prison, they can't because the judge, the magistrates can't deal with the number of cases, and some of the magistrates have now also got the virus. So it's, it, it is difficult, and the Pope brings that to the fore. Yeah, everything is on hold. And so if you're in prison, that's also on hold too, and you're stuck there. Um, while we're talking about the Pope's concern for prisoners, we should also mention that uh, this year's Way of the Cross at the Vatican, the reflections are going to be written by prisoners, right? He, they have written the, 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 the prison community, the prisoners, and some of those who work with them wrote the wrote the reflections and ways the cross and the Pope has seen them and he said he was very inspired by them. But now obviously it looks like the way of the cross at the Colosseum won't happen this year, at least not in the traditional way. I don't know if the Pope will just go there by himself. We don't know what how it will be. Right. A lot is still to be decided, especially around Holy Week. There were a couple of sort of conflicting statements uh, this weekend about what would happen with the Holy Week liturgies. Can you update us on what we know about that so far? Well, on uh, Saturday night, about 11.30, the prefecture of the papal household, these are the guys who organize the Pope's audiences with heads of state, with other people, and they also coordinate the people who want tickets to attend papal ceremonies. 
And so you applied to this office. Now, they put up a notice uh, late on Saturday night saying that all the services, ceremonies on the Holy Week were going to be without the participation of the faithful, and so no tickets. They really went a little step beyond what they should have done, because their message should simply have been, look, please don't ask for tickets, we're not giving out any tickets this year. To say that the ceremonies will be without the presence of any of the faithful is too much. And I talked to a Vatican official the next morning, and I said, what is this? Before the Vatican issued their own statement, he said to me, well, Lots of things are being discussed. The whole situation is so uh, mobile at the present situ- uh, present moment, so fluid, that we don't really know what will be the situation when it comes to Holy Week. All right, so we will uh, keep our listeners updated on what's happening with the Holy Week ceremonies at the Vatican. Um, let's go back to those homilies at the Daily Mass that we were talking about before. Um, there was one that I found really striking. I've been you know, watching them every day to see what the Pope's talking about, and uh, in in one of them, he he gave this very stirring homily on not forgetting about the poor, not forgetting about refugees, even while um, people are facing these inconveniences, their difficulties in their life relating to the coronavirus, you know, and the way that that's had to change everyone's lifestyle. And I don't know, I, I thought it was it was a very Francis decision to uh, continue to keep these people at the forefront, even when you know his more immediate neighbors are facing all this difficulty. It's true that he he, he he always has the broader picture in mind, and he, he's spoken, for example, about the situation in, in Syria, in Idlib, where people now are saying, everybody is forgetting us, and we're just being wiped out, or forced to leave our house completely, our homes, and then we can't go anywhere. Francis keeps his mind on this, and he's well aware that the the drama of the the humanitarian crisis of the refugees, the migrants who are fleeing war, fleeing uh, conflict, uh, fleeing from hunger, fleeing from climate change. He's well aware that this problem is not going away. It's going to be present and it should not be forgotten among the great crisis, the emergency of the coronavirus, because the second does not change the first. They are both very real for people. For Francis also, of course, as we spoke earlier about the priests, he's also aware that the priests are doing heroic work in many situations. He knows that the Bishop of Bergamo, for example, had has lost six priests in this crisis of emergency, and 14 are seriously ill. Um, Jerry, another way that the Pope has been trying to express his closeness to people is that he went out into the streets of Rome on Sunday, March 15th. It was yesterday for us. We're recording on Monday. Um, He made sort of a a mini pilgrimage to two churches in Rome. He was praying for the end of the coronavirus. He went to the Basilica of St. Mary Major and to the Church of St. Marcello. Um, I I was wondering if you could explain what was the significance of these two places? So he, he went to first to the St. Mary Major's Basilica, and there's a famous icon that goes back centuries 
of the it's a Byzantine icon of the mother with the child in her arms. And this famous icon was carried on the streets of Rome. It was carried at the time of the plague. And this led to the lifting of the plague. Right. This was a, a cholera epidemic in the 1800s. Yes, but there was also one back in the in the 5th, 6th century. Oh, that this icon was also carried around during. Yeah. And uh, what, what happened is that the Pope has, from the morning after his election, he went there to pray. He's got a special devotion to this uh, icon, this Madonna, who is known as the protectress of Rome. You mentioned that he came there to pray after his election. He also goes there after all of his foreign trips, right? Before and after the foreign trips, he always goes. And like yesterday, he carries a little bouquet of flowers and puts it in front of the of the icon. And then from there, he, he went the car down to Piazza Venezia, which you know well, which is the central hub of Rome, as it were. Went into the Via del Corso, which is a street that links Piazza Venezia to Piazza del Popolo. So it's one of the central arteries of the city, mm-hmm. which on a normal Sunday, you could hardly walk. The street was deserted. He got onto the street and then stopped, had the car stopped, got out and walked as if on pilgrimage to the church. It's a very striking image. And this was the photo that, that we all saw that was going around in the news, right? There's no cars on the streets, there's one guy on a bike, and there's just the Pope and the little car he got out of, and that's it. It, it is really, it really had a big, I see all the papers today in, in, in Italy, on the television last night, that this picture of the Pope walking on the deserted streets of Rome, and then going into the church of San Marcello, which is run by the Servites, and taking a little uh, bouquet of flowers, placing it in front of the, what is known as the miraculous crucifix. Right. Can you tell me about this crucifix? Yeah, this is a wooden crucifix, a very real image of Christ on the cross. And about more than five, just over 500 years ago, the church was of San Marcello, who was one of the early popes, was burned down completely. It was reduced to ashes, and the only thing that survived that fire was the crucifix, and in front of the crucifix there was a little candle still burning. And the Romans at the time really were stunned by this, and they took it as a real miraculous sign. And so the crucifix, uh, the people began to really come and pray, and uh, there's conversions and everything, miracles related to the crucifix. So the the Pope Leo X, I think it was, had the church rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And then three years later, uh, almost exactly five, it was 1522, you had a plague in Rome. And it went on for a long time. The faithful, defying the order of the political authorities, (laughs) <laughs> the papal states at the time, they took the cross and they started going. The idea was to reach St. Peter's, but they went through the different uh, boroughs of the city. And each place they went, the, 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 the plague seemed to ease up. And so the, each group wanted to keep the cross in their area. So it took 16 days to get from there to St. Peter's, which is a walk of 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then when they brought the cross back and took it back into the church, the plague ended. And uh, so it's it's very interesting that Francis uh, would have known about this and 
decided to go there. So he, he walked, like the people of Rome 500 years ago, walked down the street to the cross. He didn't carry the cross out, but uh, the, the, the message for the Romans, it was very powerful. Very powerful. Mm. And you see the Pope going, and you could see the intensity of his feeling on his, on his face as he went there and prayed. He went in, put the bouquet in front of the cross, then sat down, as, as he does, and he prays. Praying to Christ to rid the world of the coronavirus pandemic. Prayed for victims of this, for their families, for all those who are caring for them, for those who are trying to run society in the midst of this. He was praying intensely for, for, for God to intervene. Mm. Colleen, I think the, our listeners should understand, this was a dramatic expression of faith in the midst of crisis. He, he was going out. Mm -hmm. he, he was trying to be close to the people in his own way. All right, Cherry, so we'll be, you know, praying for one another and also trying to do our best to stay safe, um, to keep social distance and everything. Uh, thank you so much for the updates this week. I know there's a lot, a lot of information that's coming really, really fast, and I appreciate uh, the chance to sort through it with you. Thank you, Colleen, and I hope all our listeners stay safe. And I, I think... Uh, the growing consciousness that, you know, we're all in the same boat. So it's everybody mm -hmm. has responsibility, not just those in government, not just those in church. Right. The sickness knows no borders. Yes, absolutely. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. We at America are committed to bringing you a thoughtful conversation about the Vatican's biggest stories every week, even amid moments of crisis like we're experiencing right now. We know how important the show is to you. So if you'd like to lend your support, please visit americamagazine.org slash donate and indicate that you'd like to support America because of Inside the Vatican. Thank you so much. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next week.